And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to today's edition of The Real Investment Show. Of course, it's Monday, so kicking it off for another week. But getting ready to wrap up the month, so that's actually a good thing. Month of January has turned out very well for the markets. We've, uh, you know, as we said it before, you know, when you have that kind of that per, 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 perfect trifecta, we'll spit that out. Um, you know, you have the Santa Claus rally, you have the first five days of January. That Then usually the first five days of January pretend to the month of January being positive, And that's exactly what's turned out. It's actually been a very good month so far. The S&P as of today is up over 5% for the month. And of course, this was after a year where just, you know, everything seemed seemed negative, right? I mean, just you know, one thing after another. And, and still, even with that, um, it's an amazing amount of bearish sentiment that's still in the markets. Everybody's convinced the market's going to decline. And, you know, that's usually when, and, and again, you know, this is, and, and Everybody does think the market's going to decline, right? Because there's a lot of reasons, right? There's the inverted yield curve, uh, slowing economic environment, inflation still running above 6% right now, the Fed's still hiking rates. Lots of reasons to be bearish on the markets, but, you know, there's an old saying that markets tend to climb the wall of worry. Now, is this just a reflexive rally? So far, it's been a very good rally. Um, as we've talked about in this past weekend's newsletter, we touched on it. I've got an expanded version of that discussion coming out tomorrow for our uh, technically Tuesday take that we uh, email out to all of our subscribers. But going more into detail about this rally from the, the October lows and, you know, the encouraging movement towards better um, technicals. Now, this morning, markets are going to open a bit lower. Not surprising. We've had a very good rally here. Um, and what we need, so if this is truly the beginning of a more bullish rally in the markets, um, what we need to see happen here is the market to pull back and retest this support at both this downtrend line that we broke out of that goes back to the January 2020 highs, as well as retest this 200-day moving average. Now, a couple of things here uh, that continue to improve, and as we talked about uh, uh, in this past weekend's newsletter, which is on the website now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Um, you know, we formed this kind of uh, rising trend line in the markets, and that really has been a good support level uh, for asset prices really ever since those October lows. At the same time, though, we've had this cluster of moving averages, but very importantly now, we have the 20-day about to cross above the 50-day moving average, which is about to cross above the 200-day moving average. So you've got this cluster of moving averages all turning up now and about to, to move in an upward direction. What that does is, is that tells you two things. One, in the short term, the 20 days and 50 days uh, moving averages are telling you that prices have been improving, right? Well, we know that because markets have been going up. But we're very close now to seeing that cross above the 200-day moving average. Now, when the 50 crosses above the 200-day moving average, that's that golden cross that you know market technicians kind of watch for very closely. Uh, that typically pretends to lead to higher prices. Now, I know that that certainly, it seems odd in, in the context of you know, what's going on with the economy and the Federal Reserve, and it certainly doesn't mean that it can't fail. That, that signal has failed previously. It is not 100% perfect that when the 50-day crosses above the 200-day moving average, that it's a guaranteed bull-buy signal. 
It is encouraging, though. And what I'm saying is, is that the markets have been performing a lot better as of late. They have been firming up, and that's been giving people uh, the ability to put some capital to work. And, and speaking of, there is a near record level of cash in money markets right now. So again, not surprising. You know, I've got money seeking an investment account. My money market's yielding three, four, five percent at the moment, whatever it is. So I can certainly have some cash because it's actually yielding now. But the important thing is, is that when the Fed begins to cut rates, and this is what everybody's expecting now, right? The Fed to cut rates sometime in June, July, they're going to start cutting and reducing those interest rates. Well, that's what we saw happen in, in 2009 and 2010. We had a very high level at that time of cash and money market accounts. After the financial crisis, people went and fled the cash. And then the Fed started quantitative easing and cutting rates to zero. And that cash had to find some place to go because there was no yield in cash anymore. So it had to go back into dividend yielding equities, which has created this chase over the last years. That's the playbook that the Federal Reserve is going to be banking on here in the course of the months ahead. So as they get rates up here and try to hold them there for a bit, that's fine. But once that recession begins to set in, whenever it does, and it will eventually, they'll have to start cutting rates. And when they do, that'll force equity uh, cash back into equity. So again, that's why everybody's looking for that proverbial pivot, right? That's the pivot everybody's talking about. The Fed to cut rates, cut rates to zero. Money's got to go find some place to get yield. That'll be in the equity market at the time. And the markets are front running that game right now. And that's why markets have been improving um, in anticipation that the Fed is going to be cutting rates sooner than later. And there's certainly some cause for that because, again, you know, if you take a look at some of the economic data, certainly not encouraging. Uh, the Atlanta Fed now just came out with their first estimate for, fourth, for the first quarter GDP at 0.7. Blue chip economists are basically at zero right now for the first quarter in economic growth. So plenty of weakness economically speaking. We know that the leading economic indicators, yield curves, ISM manufacturing, the list goes on and on and on all telling us that the economy is slowing down, it is weakening, and that's why markets are betting on that pivot in the months ahead. Now, again, it's not going to be a straight moonshot from here, but markets, like I said, markets will be down today. Not surprising. Nobody really wants to hold on to anything, you know, pretty much ahead of the Fed meeting on Wednesday. That is the FOMC meeting, and that's where the Fed will hike 25 basis points. Again, that's pretty much already baked into the markets. That's not what's worrying the markets. What does worry the markets for Wednesday is what Jerome Powell is going to say. He's been famous in August of last year and December of last year of smacking the markets around a bit when they rally into the Fed meeting. Again, you know, market rallies loosen financial conditions exactly the opposite of what the Fed wants when they're trying to combat inflation. And in, at, September, in the, at the Jackson Hole Summit meeting and then at the December FOMC meeting, Jerome Powell delivered very hawkish statements. So on Wednesday, that would be the expectation is that because of this rally from the lows and because of this rally in January, financial conditions are now easier than they were in March of 2022, last year, March of last year. And that certainly suggests that the Fed is going to try to talk the markets down. But look, we've got a lot of stuff going on uh, right now. The big, the big thing coming up, uh, of course, over the next you know, few weeks, besides the Fed meeting, we saw the debt limit to deal with. Um, we, we've, got, we've got the debt issue to deal with. And of course, 
again, earnings are coming in. So we'll talk some more about earnings this morning as well. But earnings, not surprisingly, right? Because we lowered the bar. It's millennial earnings season. Everybody gets a trophy. 89% of companies so far that have reported have either met or beat estimates. So, you know, a little bit of round of applause for the market for doing such a great job <laughs> meeting those estimates. But again, it's because we continue to lower that bar. And, and as we look forward, earnings are going to continue to weaken here over the course of the next several months. The big issue, of course, is profit margins. So we got a lot of stuff to get into this morning. We've got some funny stuff on the debt ceiling. We've got to talk about earnings. We've got to talk about the markets, um, again, as always. But be sure you get by the website. Make sure you subscribe to our Before the Bell channel. Uh, that is our new channel. It used to be three minutes on Markets and Money, now called Before the Bell. That's our three-minute video we put out before the market every morning. Uh, but you, that's a separate channel now. So subscribe there at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Also, make sure you subscribe for our newsletter, Daily Market Commentary. Tons of material to make sure that you're investing your money safely. That's all at the website, of course, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back after the break. daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Is your partner cheating on you? Financial infidelity is a relationship buzzkill and a wealth destroyer. Just in time for Valentine's Day, our next Candid Coffee will address how to avoid financial infidelity. Saturday, February 11th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Build trust, improve your money talk, and pillow talk. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How to avoid financial infidelity. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. You know, you got to kind of give it to the people in Philadelphia. For some reason, they're pole climbers. I don't know why this is. Every time there's an event that they win, they all go out and climb the light poles. <laughs> I've never understood I've that. I've never said, but it's something specific about Philadelphia. They just yeah. have to climb a light pole. Well, you know, this year, because of the, the championship. Yes. Of course, congratulations to the Philadelphia Eagles mm -hmm. for winning the NFC championship. Um, but prior to the game, in a 400, and so they, they made a radius around the football stadium that was equivalent to 415 football fields, and they greased all the light poles <laughs> so that they wouldn't climb them. They climbed them anyway. I don't know how you climb a greased light pole, which is grease on metal, but somehow, do not put it past the ingenuity of Philadelphians. They figured out a way to climb a greased light pole. There's got to be a punchline or two in there somewhere. <laughs> grease lightning, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> but, you know, they say you can't catch a grease pig. Well, they can, they can climb a grease pole. <laughs> so, just pretty amazing. This, e even in the cold. I, I know. Well, maybe that's why they were just kind of sticking to it. I yeah, know. I know. But I was just thinking about that. I was like, that's, that's, I'm, I'm impressed. Yes. I mean, if, if you're that committed to climb a pole, just let them. And all just for a game. Them. For a game, but, but they won. Yeah. That's the important thing. Yep. They're very enthusiastic. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't see that in Houston. No. Most of the time in Houston, Ever. we win, we're like, eh, here's my beer. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so, all right. You uh, probably never see that in Houston. Yeah, I know, right? 
Um, so a couple of things here. First of all, you know, of course, the big issue right now is the uh, we are now into using emergency measures to pay our bills. And I've talked about this on the show, uh, on the show before, is that the debt ceiling is not this cataclysmic thing that is going to destroy America. And I, I can't say it any better than potentially, and I've lost my mouse here, hold on a second, than uh, Senator Kennedy, who had these comments to say here just recently about the debt ceiling. Two points. The United States Congress will not default on America's debt, so everyone should take their meds and chill. Point two, 70% of the American people think our country is headed in the wrong direction. The 30% who disagree are living in their parents' basement. The federal government spends too much, particularly the last two years, and has too much debt. And if we don't stop it, we're going to end up in a deep recession, and Google may have to lay off up to 25 members of Congress. That's how bad it'll be. We've got at least until August and maybe huh. September. Which, which is enough time for the White House to, to grow out of puberty and sit down and talk with the House Republicans. And uh, that's priceless. And you can't say that any better. I know. And, and, and that's exactly right. You know, the, the thing is, is that, you know, yes, we do have a debt problem. Um, I'm actually writing an article right now, um, probably for next week, uh, talking about the Japanification of America. And it's this whole idea that debt doesn't matter because it does. It matters a lot. And it has a big impact on economic growth. But as far as the debt ceiling goes, right, this is that point, as we've discussed before. And, and again, look, the whole debt ceiling issue, the reason we have it was to provide a limit that says, hey, here's how much debt you can issue. Once you get there, you should cut spending. But since 1985, we've been just continually hiking the debt ceiling. Every time we get up to it, we just hike it. And we hike it every single time. We've never not hiked it. We come up with reasons that we're going to hike it, um, but we always hike it. And the point is, if you're not going to pay attention to the debt ceiling, if you're just going to keep hiking it, then just get rid of the damn thing. I mean, it's just more of a nuisance than anything else, because if you don't care about the debt, then why have the debt ceiling? Right. This is it's, it's, it's the same problem that families have around this country that they, they literally have a debt ceiling and they just keep getting more credit. And when they run out of one credit card, they go get another one. So, you know, and, and banks are happy to do it until they all default. And then that's why, you know, banks have loan loss reserves. You can make all the money now and I'll, I'll worry about the, the penalty later. But this is the point, right? And, but we're not going to default on our debt. We have a printing press. We are going to pay for the debt. We're going to pay the interest on the debt. And life will go on. Now, that doesn't mean it's a good thing. I'm not, I'm not saying that <laughs> uh, just runaway debt is not a good thing, but it, it's, it's not, right? This is the same, same thing that Japan has done, and they are suffering the consequence of that. The point is, is that it's not this media-driven narrative that we're all going to default on our debt, and it's those evil Republicans, right? If they, they're going to hold it, they're going to hold Congress up, wanting spending cuts, and we're going to default on our debt because of those evil Republicans. No, okay, the Republicans are doing the right thing, right? They should be demanding cuts in spending to raise the debt ceiling. 
The idea would be to cut spending and not raise the debt ceiling, right? That would be ideal. But that's not going to happen. So at least, at least use this to get some type of fiscal restraint in Congress, right? We're not going to get much out of it, but something's better than nothing. We'll see. But the point is, is that it's very important to understand that, no, we're going to pay our interest on our debt. We're going to pay for Social Security. We're going to pay our, 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 our military. That's mandatory spending. It gets paid regardless. Now, we may have to shut down, you know, a national park here or there, right? There may have to be some cuts to some innocuous agency that you've never heard of that figures out how Frisbees fly. But the important stuff will get paid. And that's in the interest on the debt. So don't worry about that. That's not the worry. The bigger worry, of course, is the economy, the Fed. You know, those are the type of things that that you can worry about. And again, you know, markets are going to be a little bit lower this morning. Dow is currently pointing down about 220 points. NASDAQ's down about 143 this morning. Um, and again, we've had a very strong run here. So a bit of a pullback, not surprising. Now, and actually, this is this could be a healthy thing. The markets can come back, retest that 200-day moving average, hold those multiple levels of support. That's going to be a very bullish look going forward for the markets here near term. So we need this pullback. We need this retest so we can have a retest of that support and then a, a move higher. And if we break the recent high, you've got a very good bullish confirmed trend to the market. So, again, that's what we're going to be looking for in the next few days. Now, the big risk this week, of course, is the Federal Reserve and what they say. Now, if they come out and they're extremely hawkish, and again, there's you know there is the potential. While everybody there's a hundred percent right now, virtually a hundred percent expectations that the Fed will hike twenty five basis points on Wednesday. The Fed could come out and hawk, uh, hike fifty basis points um, just to kind of do shock and awe to the markets. Now, I don't think they will. I'm just saying they could. Right? There's a lot of things that could happen on Wednesday that could put this market back on its feet, on its heels. And I suspect that they'll hike 25 basis points. I don't think they want to shock markets. But I think they could deliver some fairly hawkish language. And we'll have to see how the market kind of takes that at this point and, and you know, absorbs that news. Because, again, expectations right now are the Fed will start cutting rates in June or July of this year if the Fed comes out and says, not only are we going to hike rates until June or July, we are not going to cut them this year. There's no way we're going to cut rates this year. That could that could that could impact markets. Of course, the economy still a concern here. Inverted yield curves a concern that suggests a recession's coming later this year. You know, there's a there's a lot of reasons to worry. Lots of reasons to worry. And as we said said before, you know, that's what markets do. Markets tend to climb a wall of worry, and there's plenty of things to worry about. You ought to read my Twitter feed. It's just, you know, tons of just negative narrative. And, you know, when everybody is kind of in one camp, that's when other things tend to happen. We've talked about that before. And and as as portfolio managers, as investors, you know, what our job is, is to make sure that we're taking in this negative narrative and understanding what it is, but also counterbalancing that view and making sure we're not getting trapped inside that negative narrative. And that's the only thing we're seeking out, right? We're so convinced in our position that we miss the turn 
of the markets. And I'm not saying we're there yet, but there's certainly some encouraging signs that suggest the market may be pricing in a lot of these things. A lot of that negative narrative. And, you know, I, I was I posted out a chart this morning of money market cash, which is at record levels. And everybody's to me is like, well, yeah, of course it's all in cash. They're not going to invest it in this market. It's going lower. I was like, well, hold on a second here. If the reason they're in cash is because they can get a 4 or 5% yield in cash, what happens when the Fed cuts rates back to zero? The money's got to go somewhere to chase yield. So it's going to come out of cash to go back into yield. And yield won't be in treasuries because treasury yields will drop, drop back down to 1, 1.5%. Bond prices will have gone up, so you'll miss the bond trade. So I'll only leave you stocks. But now stocks have run up, and now you'll be going, yeah, but stocks are so expensive now, I can't buy them here, right? I've got to wait for the next correction. This is, the, this is that cycle that people get themselves into. They keep them out of the markets for a very long time. This is why you be very careful. As we said before, there's a, an old saying that more money has been lost trying to avoid the crash than actually being in the crash. So be careful with narrative. Narrative is fine, but pay attention to what the market's trying to tell you. Also, I'm not saying the market's always right, right? That's when we have to navigate this. We got to be careful. But the market's trying to tell you something that's different than the overall narrative. Don't know what that is, but it's over there waving a little flag saying something. All right, be right back after the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com is your partner cheating on you financial infidelity is a relationship buzzkill and a wealth destroyer just in time for valentine's day our next candid coffee will address how to avoid financial infidelity saturday february 11th with richard rosso and danny ratliff build trust improve your money talk and pillow talk register today at realinvestmentadvice.com how to avoid financial infidelity candid coffee with ratliff and rosso realinvestmentadvice.com your listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So here we are in the midst of earnings season as uh, Things get rolling through. We've got about yeah, a little bit more than half of companies now have reported, and and uh, the rest of this week and next week, of course, are going to be the the bulk of it will be done with the vast majority of the S and P five hundred by the end of next week. Uh, this week, uh, we've got Apple, Google, Facebook company, uh, Facebook parent company Meta this week. 
uh, among the many companies slated to report. About a third of companies um, right now are, as I said earlier, if you take a look at the, you know, kind of the meat of the companies that earn about a third have beat their estimates. And if we look at the total that have met or beat their estimates, that's about 80%, a little over 80%. Um, so again, it's just a typical earnings season. Uh, we lower estimates to the point to where people can get over a very much lower bar, right? It's uh, you know, it's almost kind of like college now. It's just they keep lowering the the passing score <laughs> so that the kids can pass their test. Um, but you know, this this just the way it is, and it doesn't mean that. And this is why, as an investor, you can't really pay attention to you know this company beat earnings or missed earnings, whatever it is. Yeah, really look at the quality of the earnings. And and what's interesting is, is that stocks that are doing the best this earnings season are the ones that have missed estimates. The ones that have beat estimates actually are getting penalized more than not. So, again, this is why you've got to really look at the quality of, of the earnings and say, okay, you know, this company missed estimates, beat estimates, whatever it is. But what's it, what are they really telling you? And again, you'll see a lot of companies come out beating earnings and beating revenue estimates, right? So it's like, ah, they did much better. But you take a look at the revenue, it's down 12% from last year. They're earning less money. Profits have declined. Profit margins have shrunk. So you're paying up for companies that are making less money. Right, so this is why it's it's important to be careful. But again, this is what we've got coming out: um, uh, AMD, Caterpillar, Exxon Mobil. Of course, we just saw Chevron report earnings uh, on Friday. General Motors, McDonald's, Mondelez. If you don't know Mondelez, they go good with milk because they make Oreos. That's the only thing I know that Mondelez makes. I don't care. That's all they need to make. They That's just right. need to make Oreos. They've got it done. They need to make the. They need to just come out with. Forget the chocolate cookie part. Just come out with a, a bag of cream. <laughs> True story. Yeah, just. True story. When my brother was yeah. alive, he was a physician. Okay. He would keep a, a canister of dark fudge icing in his desk with tongue depressors. Okay. He's a doctor. Okay. He would go, that was his, that's what he lived on during the day. He'd take out a tug depressor and scoop up a big chunk of that icing and just slurp it up. That, and he's a doctor? He was. And maybe there's something to that story. Nope, nope, that kept him going. Chocolate. <laughs> Chocolate always solves every problem. Yeah, it does. It, uh, th there's no arguing that fact. <laughs> you can't even try to argue that no, fact successfully. No. Yeah. You will lose. Um, Pfizer, Snap, UPS also report this week. Uh, Wednesday, Altria, uh, Facebook, Parent Meta on uh, Wednesday. Then Thursday, of course, that's Wednesday, Thursday, really going to be two big days. Wednesday, of course, the Federal Reserve meeting. And then on Thursday, Google or Alphabet. Uh, and I don't know why people keep changing their damn names. You were Google to start with. Everybody knows you as Google. Why change your name to Alphabet? But anyway. Whatever happened to branding 101? I know, right? You know? You're still Google. <laughs> At the end of the day, uh, Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Conoco, Eli Lilly, uh, Estee Lauder, Ford, Merck, Starbucks, and the WWE worldwide. <laughs> you know, it is amazing to me. I remember when I was in college, 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. When I was in college, uh, the WWE would would go to the college circuits and they would all, you know, do their wrestling thing. Right. And everybody'd show up for the wrestling event. And it's and it was obviously fake, right? I mean, just everybody's in there and horribly scripted. Oh yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. And then now it's this they've done this phenomenal job mm-hmm. of converting it into this media entertainment empire, and they are actually in the top ten most streamed YouTube channels. They're at the, they're at the bottom end of the top ten, but if you go to YouTube, WWE is in the top ten. Of the most have the most subscribers, yeah, right? Yeah. Number one subscribers in the Indian channel. Still blows my mind to have the WWE on the NYSE. That's correct. That is correct, sir. But may uh, uh, kudos. I mean, to, yeah. I mean, they've had spinoff series and like Bravo mm-hmm. about the wrestlers, like you know, kind of way they follow them around and watch their lives. I mean, people are onto this stuff. It's still fake. <laughs> Still fake wrestling. It's not real. Not unlike some of the other stuff. On. Yeah, it's like most everything on Bravo is fake. Um, anyway, different story for a different day. Anyway, yeah. as my wife says, mindless television to escape reality. Um, so anyway, that's coming up this week. So again, you're going to have this counterbalance of the Federal Reserve on Wednesday. Um, with their views, and again, expectations are 25 basis point hike versus the continued deluge of earnings uh, coming in as well. And, and again, um, you know, it is the outlook that is much more important for these companies than the actual earnings themselves. So, you know, when Apple, when Google, when Meta, when they all report, it's going to be the outlook for their companies that are much more important. Again, you know, Meta. As a good example, took a pretty big hit last quarter because they said, hey, we're going to keep investing in this metaverse, despite the fact it's just costing us a buttload of money. And people didn't like that, and the stock sold off about 20%. I would suspect they have not changed that opinion. And that when they come out and report earnings, there will be another dissertation on why they are going to continue to invest billions upon billions of dollars into this metaverse because it's the next thing supposedly we'll all be living in this virtual reality simulation (laughs) if you haven't watched the movie ready player one i highly suggest you do it's a movie about the metaverse and what the important takeaway is from that movie is not to watch the movie. First of all, there's a great soundtrack. If you are a boomer of any sort, it is a throwback to your childhood in terms of music, video games, etc. Things that you grew up with. But the important takeaway, movies as well, all kinds of movie genre in it as well that you'll remember. But the important thing is, is that there is a very important message in that movie about, the, about what happens between the metaverse and real life. So I don't know if it's a forecast or a prediction or whatever it is, but it's a very interesting movie on the potential outcome of what happens when everybody spends their time in the metaverse versus real life. Anyway, Ready Player One. So it's, a, it's an interesting movie. But... The point is, 
this is where Meta is putting all of their attention. They are saying that this is where we are going to be in the next five to ten years. And they're probably not wrong. There's more and more of a movement in that direction. So, but these these are the important things to and again, it's not gonna be what they report. It's gonna be what they say about their outlook. And the thing we want to keep watching on is corporate profit margins. Corporate profit margins were extremely elevated because of all the money that we injected into the economy that increased demand at a time when we shut down manufacturing. So we fired all these people, right? There was nobody working. Manufacturing was shut down. We're buying inventory at massively increased prices because there wasn't a lot of inventory to buy. So that sent profit margins surging to record levels. Well, you can't maintain those profit margins at that level when inflation is coming down, which means prices have to come down, which means as prices come down, employment has gone back up. Inventory is piling up because demand is softening, which means profit margins have to contract. And right now that hasn't been reflected yet in a lot of the data. But we are hearing it from these companies saying that they expect a decline in profit margins over the course of the next year. And that will accelerate, particularly if you get into a recession. You know, if you want to keep a watch on kind of a, a, a key inflation gauge, it's not CPI, it's M2. M2 is the measure of money supply in the markets. And what's important is that M2 money supply shot through the roof in 2020, 2021, as we were injecting massive amounts of capital directly into households. Now, see, this was always the fallacy about quantitative easing, is that everybody's like, oh, the Fed's printing money, that's going to cause inflation. It never caused inflation because quantitative easing does not impact money supply. It's a simply a, an exchange or a swap of assets between banks and the Fed. So there's no increase in the money supply during QE, and that's why it never translated into inflation. When you send checks to households, that inflates the monetary supply. That created inflation. We'll come back from the break. We'll pick up with what's happening with M2 now and what that means for inflation and the economy over the course of the rest of this year. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Is your partner cheating on you? Financial infidelity is a relationship buzzkill and a wealth destroyer. Just in time for Valentine's Day, our next Candid Coffee will address how to avoid financial infidelity. Saturday, February 11th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Build trust, improve your money talk, and pillow talk. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How to avoid financial infidelity. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real investment show
just was break. Just touching a little bit on uh, M2 money supply, and I know this is kind of that one of those boring economic topics, but bear with me one second. Um, so M2, as I said, is the measure of money that kind of flows through the market. So if you think about this, what there is a measure called monetary velocity. This is this is a really geeky thing. Just bear with me for a second. But basically, what monetary velocity is is a measure of M2 as compared to GDP economics. And, and what that is measuring is how fast does money move through the economy. And if the, if the economy is growing, monetary velocity should be picking up, right? It should be rising. And as monetary velocity rises, that means you know, more jobs are created, the economy is stronger, wages rise, those type of things, because money is circulating through the economy. Banks are making loans to businesses. Businesses are using that money to hire individuals. Individuals produce something, they get paid, then they can go consume something, and then that, that's the virtuous cycle, right? And they, so as, as consumers buy stuff, that creates demand, which makes businesses need to produce more stuff, so they have to borrow more money, so forth and so on. That's monetary velocity. That's all in the tank. <laughs> because we created a massive surge in M2 by sending checks to households as we shut down the economy. And now that money's gone. So M2 is now collapsing. And the economy is, you know, going to have to deal with less demand. But now they've got more employment, higher wages, all the negative ills for reduced profit margins. So it's kind of a interesting scenario as we kind of go forward. And, and you know, this is the interesting thing about Wall Street is there's a lot of optimism right now on Wall Street and hoping for this soft landing scenario, which is that for the first time ever in the history of the Federal Reserve, they will stick <laughs> an economic slowdown without causing a recession. David Kelly, the chief global strategist at J.P. Morgan, is betting that inflation will continue to ease in 2023. That's what, that's what M2 tells us. M2 tells us that inflation will slow because there's less money circulating in the system, which means prices have to come down, which is, in effect, reduced inflation. He's betting that inflation will continue to ease in 2023, helping the U.S. economy to narrowly escape a recession. Ed Yardini, the longtime stock strategist and founder of his namesake research firm, is putting the odds of a soft landing at 60% based on strong economic data, resilient consumers, and signs of tumbling price pressures. Now, the hope here is... that that will be the case. The hopes the Federal Reserve will hike rates at the most aggressive pace since 1980, reduce its balance sheet via quantitative tightening, and inflation run at the highest level since 1970, and the economy will continue to power forward. Now, there's a really brilliant guy that said that, and this is quoted by Goldman's page, who is this, this idiot named Lance Roberts. So... This is the issue. When we're looking at this and when we're paying attention to it, 
what we have to focus on as investors is how do we invest in an environment with so much uncertainty? There's certainly a case to be made for a recession. Technically, fundamentally, et cetera, there's certainly a case to be made for a recession in the economy, which by that very nature says that earnings decline, profit margins are reduced, and asset prices have to reprice lower for lower earnings, lower valuations. But could this time be different? Yeah, and see, that's that's the big trick here as an investor. The the big trick is is this time different? And there's always that possibility, right? So you know, we have to at least consider that probability or that possibility, even though the probabilities certainly weigh off in a much different manner. Like I said, it's it's really easy to be bearish since we started out the show. You know, the one thing that the market does that frustrates is that frustrates investors more than anything else is that they tends to climb a wall of worry. In other words, the markets do exactly the opposite. You're just going, this is so obvious that the market should be going down, yet the markets keep going up. You know, like, this makes no sense. I'm just going to wait it out. I'm just not going to invest until the market comes back and does what I want it to do. And the problem is that sometimes the markets don't do what we want them to do. Sometimes we have to understand that, that things are different. I'm not saying they are, by the way. Right now, it is the labor market that is holding up the economic signals. If you take a look at the soft data, that tells you that there is some problems in the markets and in the economy. It is pretty much only employment and labor that is keeping things elevated. Jobless claims remain exceptionally low. Employment continues to ring in strong. The problem with that data is it is highly subject to revisions. Highly subject to revisions. In other words, six months from now, we'll get revisions to the 2022 data that says we weren't hiring 250 people a month, 250,000 people a month. In fact, we were losing jobs, right? I'm not saying that's going to be the case. I'm just saying that's how it happens, right? We, we, in six months from now, we'll get this revision of the data that says that that data was entirely wrong. And that's the problem with a lot of these things. A lot of this data, it's lagging data. So we're making assumptions on investing based on lagging data. And unfortunately, that's we, we have to, right? Because that's all the data we have to work with. But we have to be aware that those revisions are coming. And I'm not saying they're absolutely going to be negative. We could see a revision that says we actually hired more people than we thought. I don't think so, but could, right? That's the thing with revisions. Don't know where they're going to be. And markets don't really care much about revisions, by the way. When we do get revised data out that says, oh, last year we lost a million jobs. We didn't actually hire, you know, we didn't hire, we didn't create a million jobs. We actually lost a million jobs. Markets go, whatever. Markets don't really care about revisions, but it's important to pay attention to. Leading economic indicators, which have never 
never been wrong about forecasting a recession or at a level that have always preceded a recession. Every single time. Going back to the 60s. Could this be time different? Sure. Not likely, but this time could be different. So in Goldman's top-of-mind report, there are plenty of experts on either side of the soft landing, hard landing question. Jay Powell says that he believes there's a path to a soft or softish landing. He thinks that path is pretty clear. The James Bullard, president of the Federal Reserve Bank in St. Louis, says the probability of a soft landing has increased compared to where it was in the fall of 2022, where it was looking more questionable. And the reason I think that is is for the for the increase is labor market is not weakened in the way that we expected. Fair statement. Paul Krugman, who has no credibility, is also rooting for a soft landing. <laughs> along with Jeremy Siegel, who's always bullish about everything, never saw a bearish day. On the hard landing side, though, there's certainly some candidates, right? Larry Summers. One has to be careful of false dawns. I would stick with my view that a recession this year is more likely than not. Bill Dudley, recession's pretty likely. Alan Greenspan, not even... I think they might have to dig him up for this one. A recession does appear to be the most likely outcome at this time. Is he still alive? That's my, exactly my point. <laughs> it's Crypt Keeper over here. <laughs> well, the last two monthly inflation reports did show a deceleration in the rate of price increases. It does not change the fact that prices are still increasing. Wage increases and, by extension, employment still need to soften further for a pullback in inflation to be anything more than transitory. That's an, actually an important statement. What Alan Greenspan is, is saying, and, you know, Alan Greenspan is famous for saying a lot and saying nothing, but he actually made a pretty clear statement that wages and prices are still increasing. They're just increasing at a slower rate. They're not falling. You know, think about throwing a ball up in the air. When you first throw the ball, there's a, it's got a lot of momentum, and, and the rate of acceleration is very fast coming out of your hand. But as it starts to reach the peak of its arc, the rate of increase is slowing dramatically till it literally stops in midair for a very brief second before it starts to decline. And that's what he's saying here. Ken Rogoff, I think it's either going to be borderline or a very mild recession, but could be a deeper one. The point is we've got to pay attention to the data. Nobody knows for sure. We're all guessing. Hard landing, soft landing, nobody knows. And it will have an impact on equity prices. So we have to be aware of that risk. But we also can't be in just solidly in one camp or the other and bet all in that direction as we've talked about before. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. Get our latest market comments. Subscribe to our Before the Bell channel. That is our new channel. That is our three minutes before the market video. Of course, subscribe to this channel by clicking the little bell icon to make sure that you get all of our daily notifications of our real investment show. Also, our newsletter on the website. Lots of stuff for you to keep you up to date on the markets and your money. It's all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.